This is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by the water only, but by water and the blood. And the Spirit is one who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these three agree. If we receive the testimony of men, the testimony the testimony of God is greater, for this is the testimony of God and that he is born concerning his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God has the testimony in himself. Whoever does not believe God has made him a liar, because he has not believed in the testimony that God has borne concerning his Son. And this is the testimony that God gave us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son of Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is God's word. Father in heaven, I'm grateful to, to be your son, um, to be somebody that you, would, that you would use and work through. Um, so, so uh, aware that I'm not the hope uh, for any of these people, but thank you that you are and that we all can have a ministry of pointing one another to you, uh, that you are a present help in time of trouble, um, that you are God, come in the flesh, and that you are with us now by your Spirit. So thank you for that. Lead us as we examine your word this evening. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So this, uh, this evening's scripture which, by the way, back in the sound booth, if you just want to put it up on the screen in a minute, you could leave it there all night for me. That'd be great. Um, but this, this scripture brings up two, I think, pertinent questions. And um, I think we deal with them at Christmas time, uh, at a time like this. And I think we deal with them all the time. And the first question is, how important is the incarnation of Jesus and by incarnation, I mean the idea that God would actually descend into his creation and live within it, um, pitch his tent uh, in it, walk among us, um, and be um, and experience what we experience and be uh, one of us. And then the second question is, how do we deal with the twin uh, promises of the Christian life that come up in the Bible? And those promises are that we're going to have power and a spirit of God present with us and that God is going to work out his plan among his people. And the other one is that life is going to be hard. And like Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. So how do we deal with these, these two realities? I think this scripture uh, speaks to both of these things. And... Um, in a way, the whole book of 1 John has been about uh, the incarnation of Jesus because um, though it's not like your Christmas book to read, it's not like telling the Christmas story, uh, it's actually engaging in a little bit of an argument um, by the Apostle John towards somebody who is teaching that Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, actually. So, there was a, a heresy around the time. Scholars have done some work. They think they know a lot about kind of who led the schism of the church and what they taught. And uh, probably what they taught was that Jesus was just a guy um, who, who came and was, was a pretty worthy person, a pretty decent person. And then at the baptism of Jesus, that the Spirit of God descended and entered into him and he became the Christ. 
And what the word Christ means is the anointed one or the chosen one of God. And they would have taught that at that point, he became something very special. He became the Christ and the three years of his ministry, you know, why he did so many powerful, unique things during that time was because he was uniquely kind of embodying the Spirit of God, and then that that Spirit of God left him, and the man died and stayed dead. And so they, um, they were teaching kind of this, this unique version that kept some of the teachings of Christianity, but lost some pretty um, important ones. And a lot of people thought that makes a lot of sense because the idea of God on a cross was very difficult uh, for people to accept. And the idea that somebody could be God in the flesh really was kind of difficult to accept. So this, this teaching that came around made a lot of sense to them. It, it kind of cleared up some of their, their issues. And John wrote this whole letter um, to say, no, that's not it. And that has problems and you need to, you know, beware of that, and you need to stand firm in the belief that Jesus was God on the day he was born and every day of his life, and we saw God, and we touched God, and we listened to God personally, and it was God who was on that cross and then rose from the dead. It was the Son, Jesus the Christ. And so John, when he writes the scripture that, that we read this evening when he says Jesus Christ very emphatically. He's, he's tying Jesus and this idea of Christ together and saying this man who we walked with was indeed God. And it brings up this, this question for us, like how, how important um, is that teaching? God actually becoming a person. How, how important is it? And, you know, what does it mean? So my mom, when I was younger... Um, I went to CDO, um, I went, and uh, my mom kind of got me into CDO because she worked there. I didn't live in the district. And so she worked in the library. She's a library clerk. And so my mom had this kind of mission uh, from God. She was, like, she was like, I am a library clerk. What can I do to advance the kingdom? So she did little things like she got to order all the books. So she would, like, order extra Christian books and just kind of right in the library, you know, which, well, I mean, that was her job, I guess. Like, nobody said that was wrong, and so she, she did that. And then one, one time, um, they did this multicultural Christmas display, and there were all these windows, and, uh, and they, they put it all up, and my mom went around and surveyed it all, and there was no manger scene. I'm sure there was, like, there was probably the American Christmas, which is probably the tree, right, and the presents, but there was no manger scene. And she kind of went up to somebody and said, hey, so there are some segments of culture that believe that Jesus came in a manger. And I'd really appreciate it if that one was represented here at the school. And they put one up. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of moaning and frustration uh, with my mom. The cool thing about my mom in all this was that these people who got annoyed with her, she remained friends with for the rest of her life. So that's, that's something I really appreciate. But, um, but yeah, essentially what my mom was saying was, look, to me, the coming of God in human form is, is what Christmas is all about. And she was saying, I, I want that to be, to be noticed. I want you to acknowledge that. But the truth is, at our house, we did have a manger scene. 
and we usually read the Christmas story. Some years we forgot. Um, but the lion's share of our Christmas growing up was about something else. And this is not a surprising thing. I can only build this up so much because it was presents. That's, that's what it was about. We spent hours and we spent days thinking of the presents, usually that we wanted for ourselves. Not so much like, I, I, we put some thought into like what we wanted, you know, what I wanted to get dad a little bit, but I put a lot of thought into the presents I wanted for myself and how to communicate that, right? Do I communicate that with a letter to Santa Claus? We didn't really do like, we weren't real strong on the Santa, but there was a little Santa, so that's like a subtle way, you know, like, dear Santa, I really want that Toronto Raptors jersey with the stitched logos, please, because the printed one is cheap, and all my friends know that. And I got it. I got it. But it was all about the presents, thinking of finding the presents. The whole point of the tree, as we all know, is to facilitate presents, right? There's no other point for this thing in our culture today. There's, there's no other connection. It's like, but it would be weird to just have a house with a stack of presents. And so we have to have the tree so we can put them under there so that the presents, you know, don't seem just like out of place, but it's really about the presence. And Santa, I'm not an anti-Santa guy. I'm actually like a really pro-Santa guy because I think we, I think we take advantage of this guy because I don't think we give a rip about him. I think all we want is the presence, right? Like the whole, like I used him. I knew he wasn't real, but I still wrote him letters because he, all he was was a conduit for me to get presents, right? So, I was super about presence, and so, you know, we, we had our manger scene, and we stood up for our manger scene, and, you know, usually my mom would kind of be like, <clears throat> Leroy, Dad, you know, can you, can you read the Christmas story? Oh, right, okay. You know, and we, but, but, come on, I didn't wake up in the morning going like, Jesus! No. No. I got up going like, come on, bike, right? And then it's like, okay, I got my bike, I can't ride my bike because we're reading the whole Christmas story. <laughs> right. So, there you go. My mom did, it, did this cool thing, but here was the reality within our house. I'd like to say that I grew up and became a pastor and then I became, like, all about Jesus. Like, I would really, that would be great. Wouldn't that be a good thing to tell you? Because then you could have hope to be like me. But, I do this podcast with my buddy Eric, and uh, this is just this week, and he looked over at me, and he said something about, like, I'm just really enjoying Advent. What about you? And I didn't know what we were going to talk about, so, or, like, not, I hadn't really planned, and I was like, I, I haven't even thought about it, like, so far, because what I've been doing this year is selling presents, Like, most of you know, like, I co-own a retail store with some friends, and, like, we kind of need to have a good Christmas, and if you don't really invest in that, like, you're not, you're going to go into January in trouble, like, you got to have, it seems like, and that's taken a lot of my headspace, 
is like providing presents. So, you know, yesterday, two holiday markets and our store was open. I was looking at the numbers. I know how much we sold. I feel better. So now I'm selling presents. Now I'm Santa Claus. And on top of that, I like to buy presents for people. I actually really, I have a lot of fun with it. I, I like to find people gifts, and I've spent time on that. And I kind of struggle with it, because what do I do? Like, do I renounce the presents? Like, do I, do I just, like, you know, to our family go, like, no, wife and daughter. We are Christians, no presents. We are going to wake up, and we are going to read all the Gospels, Abby's not even looking at me right now. That's the best part. She's totally ignoring this. But like, what, you know, what do I, what do I do? But I want, I want to be really connected to Jesus. I want to know Jesus, but I've got this job. And even this, like I'm talking to you about it, but this is kind of my job, Right? And some of you, I mean, we have people who work for Amazon and other companies. Nick delivers the mail. He's more of a Santa Claus than me, truthfully, riding around in his little green sleigh, delivering all the presents. Like, we're kind of like, a lot of us, our businesses ramp up, something changes. We're, I mean, come on. This is what we put actual time into, most of us. And if you're not doing that, then you can just, you know, turn off your brain for the next 10 minutes. But I was thinking about this scripture, God became a human being, and myself in actuality right now, and like, is that factoring in for me, really? Is it really, really happening? And then here's kind of where my head went. So Jesus, when he actually showed up, came into the lives of people, like shepherds. These guys are at work when they, they get the grand news, right? I mean, these, they don't just hang out with sheep. Like, you sell these things. You shear them. You, this is, you're at work with your sheep. Um, I mean, the wise men who were doing their studying, like, why were they studying I mean, because that's what they did. Like, that's, they, I'm sure somehow this is like their job. This is their livelihood. This was their pursuit. This was their thing. They were scholar-type people. And then, you know, Mary and Joseph, like, I mean, I've done some, some research in the past on Joseph and Nazareth. It's kind of interesting. Chances are we tend to think of, you know, Joseph was a carpenter. And people tend to tell me, because we have a wood shop, I get this a lot. You know, people will find out I'm a pastor and I own a wood shop, and they'll go, that's kind of Christ-like. And I'm like, <laughs> yep, <laughs> yeah, super Christ-like. But, but truthfully, it wasn't probably that sexy for Joseph and Jesus. Like, they probably didn't make custom furniture for super wealthy people. Because if you lived in Nazareth, the Romans kind of, like, ruled Nazareth. It's probably a garrison town. So probably they worked for the occupying government, probably. So it wasn't really like a really great gig. He probably paid the bills. 
And so the first, you know, manger scene was God entering into the day, the day-to-day lives of people with jobs who were trying to provide for their families and, and make some money. He entered into a family. He, he knew about, like, gift giving. I mean, one time he talked about, like, fathers know how to give good gifts. They don't give their kids little snakes. So he must have known a little bit about just kind of, like, the daily stuff of life. He grew up, like, he did the whole kid thing. And do you ever think about this? Like, Jesus grew up with Joseph and Mary and knew about their problems. You ever think about that? Like, I'm so aware of my parents' problems. Like, Jesus did that. Like, he grew up with Joseph and Mary, and he knew about their problems. And he actually, like, knew people and walked with people. He knew them pretty well. He spent time in their cities. He sat with them on hillsides. Um, you know, maybe Jesus was with me, like, at the markets yesterday, right? Like, when he came in, when he came down, he came into people's kind of ordinary, regular lives. So the, the heresy of the church that John wrote to, I would say, was to make the Christ too mystical, too disconnected. So there's this phrase in here, you know, the water and the blood. This is, this is a kind of a complex scripture that it's, it's kind of hard to understand, frankly. Um, but likely, and there, there's a couple other interpretations out there, you can go nerd out on those. I'm not going to take up your time right now. You can find those articles if you want. Um, but likely, the water and the blood is a borrowing of the phrase of the leader of the schism when it comes to the water part. Because remember, in this schism of the church, they said that the spirit, the Christ, came upon Jesus at his baptism in the water. And so here, John is, is kind of using the wording of the schism leader And those people, they said Jesus was just a good man and Christ's spirit came upon him in the water and and then in his like further baptizing ministry, how he went out and and more people were were brought into the kingdom and powerful spirit-filled stuff started to happen. They said, see, this, um, this is where Jesus became the Christ. And then the spirit, the Christ left him before he was crucified. And John says, Okay, granted, the Spirit came upon him in the water, but he was also our Christ in the blood, in the water and the blood. And he says it again, he kind of emphasizes it in the water and the blood. He was not just our Savior in his living and his spirit and filled time and his power, he was our Savior in his death. He was God, our Savior, then. Not just when he was successful, not just when he was leading and all the people were following, not just when he was healing. He was Savior in his death. And the incarnation of Jesus is so important exactly because Jesus became one of us in every way. He had a job. He had parents. Like I said, he had friends. He ate. He slept. But even his closest friends marveled at at one thing. They said, this man who was with us all the time 
And this is, this is kind of uniform. I mean, imagine them saying to people who knew this person and writing to people who knew Jesus and walked with him that he never sinned. I mean, Peter, I'm, I've mentioned this here so many times. Peter says at one point, no deceit was found in his mouth. Like, the fact that anybody contemporary to him could write that to people who were contemporary to him and not just be blown out of the water as a fraud is nuts. To say there was no deceit found in his mouth. I recently I watched this video that was sent to me by a pastor up in Canada. And uh, it's called Godspeed, which I saw the title of the video. I was like, I'm not going to like this video. But I did like the video. It's really good. And... Uh, it was about this pastor in America who got sent to Scotland to this little tiny town um, to be the parish pastor. And he showed up and he walked into the door and he said, where's my office? Like, or is, do I have an office? And the, the guy who already worked there looked at him. He goes, no. He goes, get out of here. And he goes, what do you mean get out of here? And he goes, go to people's houses. He goes, what? And he realized that in these little towns in Scotland, if you're a pastor, every single day you just walked to every house and knocked on the door and checked in with everybody every, all the time, over and over and over. And the most terrifying thing to him about this was that what he was used to coming from our context in America was you could get up in front of the people and give a really great speech and people thought you really knew what you were talking about and they didn't really know you that well. And, you know, and you could exist as a, as a pastor. But as he started to actually sit down in people's homes with them, they started to know him, and he, like, couldn't preach anymore. He was realizing, like, I can't, what do I say to them? They know I don't actually do this. They know, like, they see into my life. They're, they know I'm not, like, the embodiment of all of this. And he had to start preaching in really humble ways, and it really changed him. And his first convert was this really manly, big guy wore a kilt, and one of his favorite things to do was to stomp around naked in the woods with his friends, which he didn't stop doing once he was converted. By the way, he, he made, in the video, he's like, I still do it. Okay. But, but this guy, here's how this guy came to Christ, is they were doing a little Bible study, and the guy goes, they read something about how Jesus never sinned. And the guy said, are there maps in this book? And the guy's like, yeah, there's like some maps in the back. He goes, how far is this town from his hometown? And they flipped back to the map, and this big Scottish guy looked at this, and, he, and it dawned on him that he was like, because he walked everywhere, he's like, this town where they said this about this man was walking distance. And all these towns were walking distance. The towns where they said he did miracles, were walking distance from where he lived as a child. And he said, if those people in those towns that were walking distance away said this man healed sick people, then I believe it. Because they knew who he was. And they wouldn't have put up with it. Like if somebody said he raised Lazarus from the dead walking distance from where he was born and he didn't do it, people would have picked it apart. And this guy was like, I believe. He gets converted through the maps. And see what he was seeing was this man, this Jesus, 
was a part of all these people's daily lives. And they saw him for who he was. They, when they said he never sinned, they meant it. They saw that he was actually righteous. So then when he was killed and the disciples said, this man was actually righteous, and they all said uniformly he died to forgive us of our sins. That is the like key thing in the New Testament. He died, he didn't deserve it, and so the reason, the purpose of his death was to forgive us of our sins. And if Jesus wasn't God in the flesh, then his death couldn't have meant anything about our sins. If he was just another guy like us who sinned, then he just died. But if he was God in the flesh who never sinned and he died, then this could have real meaning. And it could mean exactly what the disciples said it meant. So John said that God testified in the water and the blood, and he was testifying in the blood to his sacrificial act and his sacrificial character. God was testifying about himself in Jesus, in his spirit-enabled power, and what happened when he was baptized, and in his death, that he was a sacrificial lover and that he was righteous. So that's one thing we learn from this scripture. The scripture this evening also talks about, I think, the Christian expectation. Um, it says that we who believe in the Son bear the testimony of the Son in ourselves. It says, it says we have the Spirit. It says we bear the testimony in ourselves. Um, and it says we have eternal life. That, the Scripture says all of those things. So I, a little bit more about my mom and dad. I grew up with a unique set of parents. My dad was a very quiet Lutheran. Um, he was... Lutherans are all really quiet, except for Josh Palmer, who, who runs Cross and Crown here in the mornings. But other than him, every single one of them is really quiet. That's not true. They're, they're a subdued group, generally. Um, but my dad was even on the like quiet end of Lutheranism. He was like real chill. And then my mom came to Christ in college in a Pentecostal church. And so some of you might know what that is, but it's, uh, it's not laid back okay? It's like, it's heavily um, emphasizing the work of God's Spirit and a lot of experience around that, and it tends to be, you know, pumped and, and excited and very outgoing. And so that could be a little confusing. Nick and I had breakfast with a buddy, and I was, this morning, I was reflecting on what that was like, because basically my mom and dad had to negotiate where, like, we would go to the toned-down Pentecostal church and sit in the back row. That's how we did it. And so that way my mom could go up and do whatever, and my dad could not do that. He could just sit in the back and not be, you know, people tended to like, be like, is he a believer? You know, and he's like, yes, but just, I'm not, I'm not going to do this stuff. <laughs> so, so this was like, we were always like where Sarah Matthews is right there. That was my family back, back of the church. So, um, and then my mom would come up front for something and do her thing and my dad would sit in the back, and I would choose. I would do one of the two. I would go with, with one of them. And um, that was a little confusing. But, but in a way, okay, I think, I think we're supposed to have a tension of these, like, two realities. Not, not the Lutheran and the Pentecostal church, but the spirit, the spirit and 
like kind of a reverent suffering. Um, the Pentecostals, they, they're named after the day of Pentecost, which was a feast, a feast day when they, they drew in the first fruits of their harvest. And the first one after Jesus rose from the dead, they were all gathered together and the spirit descended on them and they began speaking and people from other nations heard what they were saying. Thousands were added to the church. It was an incredible time. There were like what appeared to be tongues of fire came down upon them, which kind of makes you think back to when the Israelites were led through the wilderness with a pillar of fire by night, and kind of the, and which was the Spirit leading them. And so it was kind of this like dramatic moment where the Spirit of God is with these people. Powerful things are happening with these people. God is at, at work among these people, right? So Pentecostals, like, they love that, and they, they want that. And Lutherans, and I, I know this because I accidentally read a book about Lutheranism. I thought it was about something else, and I got about two chapters in and realized, this is like about, just about Lutherans. So I know a lot more about Josh Palmer now. But one of the key elements of Lutheranism is that life is like bearing the cross. That's something they teach. They teach that, like, if you look at the lifespan of Jesus, his birth and his life, and then his death and his resurrection and his glorification— they would say, we here as Christians on this earth, where we can identify right now is with him bearing his cross to Calvary before he dies. That's where we are. We are burdened by our sin. We have a hope standing before us, but we're not experiencing all of it yet. We are walking under the weight of our sin, and it affects us. And that's where Lutherans are coming from. And I think, I think this scripture opens us up to being able to believe both. Because I think in Jesus and in John's letters, when Jesus came in the water and the blood, I mean, he came, think about his life. He comes down, he's baptized, he's filled with the Holy Spirit. He has power, he is healing people. But then he's having to get away and pray and lean on his father's power he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane and he begs. And this just blows my mind that like God could like pray to himself, you know, but he prays to his father if there's any way. And I, I think Jesus in his humanity felt this like any of us feel the, the dread of all dreads. He's, is, is there any way I cannot do this cross thing? Is there, if there's any other way, please, God, please. And then he said, but nevertheless, your, your will be done. And so he is this spirit-empowered man who also is very aware of the suffering that's standing before him. And he's taking on like the, the pains and the sorrows and he's dealing with all of the brokenness. Um, he came grieving and he experienced the cross. He came in the water and the blood. You know, Christmas brings up a lot of emotions. It's interesting to, to talk to people about it. For some, it's, it's all like tinsels and trees and lights, you know, like Thanksgiving is over and some people just start happy dancing um, and just getting giddy. It happens, right? Some, some people do. And then for some, it start like some emotions start to flow because it's like a reminder. Because there's something about holidays. There's something about the big celebrations 
that when they haven't gone well in your life or they used to go well and then they stopped, they become more painful than anything. Like it's the higher the expectation in in the culture around you and the deeper you haven't experienced the height of that expectation, the deeper the pain. And if there's two things I've seen as a pastor in general, we need, we need two things from God. We need to know that God's spirit is real and he is at work and we have hope. Like we need that. We need to know that people can change, that God can like enter in and change a life, that somebody could be baptized, that they could actually come to faith and that they could actually have a new life and that darkness can be driven out, that there is hope, that everything doesn't have to stay the same. But on the flip side, we need to know and be rooted in the fact that life is hard, and people will fail, and the curse of sin is going to hurt you, and your friends and your family are all going to die, and relationships are going to break. Like, it is true. And we need both of those things in harmony. We need to know them. And we need to hear them from God, and we need to understand that both of those things are coming. So when John says eternal life is in us, I think he's getting at this. I think we hear like, oh, you know, eternal life is in us, and we think like it's simply like, oh, we're going to live forever after we die, which is kind of a, a reality you can't really connect to. But we forget that in 1 John 1, which I read at the beginning of of our service, all the way at the beginning, that John, all throughout the book of 1 John, has called Jesus the eternal life. Eternal life isn't like this thing you get. It's Jesus. Jesus is the eternal life, the, the one who was with God at the beginning. The eternal life. And so what he's saying is, and he, and he never f- says we're going to get eternal life. He says we have eternal life. Like now. And I think that's not merely saying you have the hope of living eternally. I think it's saying you have Jesus now as a Christian. And that lines up with what Jesus said, because before he ascended, he said, I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. And I think what John was teaching is that the same reality that Jesus faced will be ours, that we will see the Spirit work. I mean, I think that there's, we're called to amazing things. We're called to mission. We're called to get things done. We're called to like see people's eyes open. We're called to bring people to faith. We're called to grow and expand the kingdom. Like really, we are. Jesus was And he did that, and he's given us the same spirit that came upon him is ours, and we will do it, but we will suffer because Jesus did. And that was the path to glory was through suffering. And he's told us, in this world, you will have trouble. He he never once said, in this world, you will find me, and it'll be awesome. Like, never. It's just not there. I don't get how people teach it from the Bible. He said, you'll have trouble, but I will be with you. It reminds me of the 23rd Psalm. Like probably, this is probably one of the most important for me, like little pieces of nuance and like a Bible verse I learned my whole life. But 
you know, in the valley of, sh- of the shadow of death, you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Because what does that mean? It means you're going to go through the valley of the shadow of death with Jesus. It's not Jesus pulls you out of the valley of the shadow of death for the rest of your life until you die, and that's just a bummer, and then, you're, then you have eternal life. It's like life, there's a lot of time in the valley of the shadow of death, but you're not there by yourself. You're there with one who can comfort you, who can make you safe and secure, and who's been there, and who gets it. So that's the witness that we have within us. The witness that we have within us is that we actually know and we actually walk with Jesus. And so then how we live, I would say, is called, my my term for it, incarnational living. Sounds like a radio show. Incarnational living. But it's living in God's spirit with hope in a world that often hurts and doesn't see Jesus. It's those two realities. Jesus came down into a broken world that needed him and needed him to walk with them and needed his forgiveness And he has left us here to carry him into that world. That's the Christian life. And that means we're going to live in spaces with others and jobs and circles where those people have a different purpose and that we will be in those spaces with them but living for a different reason and living with a different spirit within us with a hope that we shine and we show. So this weekend at the holiday markets, I got to experience both ends of that, ends of that a couple times. It was kind of interesting. I, at one point, saw somebody I hadn't seen for a long time and got to tell them a little bit about what was going on in my life. And like some of what, what was going on, they, they were just really like, you know, keyed in on, like, I'm going to pray for you. And I, like, I felt like, wow, like right here in Christmas buying mayhem, like crazy, like seriously, thousands of people loading up their bags. Like we're having this holy moment where somebody's like, I am going to pray for you, I promise. And I got to offer that to others. Prayer or just to get to hear somebody or to get to share. I got to talk with a, a woman about how like she had regret about the passing of her father and it was deep, and there were tears right in the middle of holiday market. We don't have to be out of everything that the world is doing to be filled with the Spirit and be full of the message and full of the testimony of Jesus. Jesus was with me at the market. He can shape the reason we buy and sell, the reason we give gifts, the reason we go to work, the reason we gather at church, the reason we meet with our friends, like it, it can be in some ways very normal, even painful, but infused with the Spirit of God. So for the Christian, there's no place where we don't bear God's testimony. It's with us no matter what we do. Look at that. Because Jesus came in person and remains with us in person. And Jesus, you know, interestingly, didn't, he didn't give us a nativity set. He didn't say like, I'm not, I'm not saying my mom did anything wrong. I, I, think she, I think that was fine. I think she developed relationships with friends where she was able to say, hey, 
look, like it's respectful to put out everybody's views. But he didn't give us a nativity set. He didn't say like, look, here's what you have to do. You have to read the Christmas story every single Christmas. You have to set up my nativity set. You have to do this. He didn't do that. He gave us, look what he gave us, two things to do as a church, water and blood, baptism. Like, I am going to give you new life. I'm going to wash you of all of your sins. Like, I'm going to give you hope. I'm going to give you my spirit. That's what baptism's all about. And then he gave us his table. And at his table, he's saying, here is what I want you to celebrate. Over and over and over and over, over and over and over, is I want you to celebrate the day that I died. And he, he made it very personal, right? It, it wasn't abstract at all. He said, this is my body, and it's broken for you. It's broken for you. And then he said, this is my blood, and it was shed for your forgiveness for the forgiveness of many. This evening, as we kind of head into this, this Christmas season, and I don't know what that's going to be like for you all. For me, I'm hoping to do a little less uh, selling of gifts. We'll see. But let's anchor ourselves in a Savior who actually knows what it's like. Whatever we're dealing with, if you're in school and you're cruising up to the end of it, and you, you got to like deal with that. If you've been married for years or married for weeks, if you've got kids, if you don't have kids, if you're dealing with family issues, if you're dealing with pain, if you're dealing with loss, just anchor yourself in one thing. Jesus actually came. And he tasted this bitter cup. And he's with you. And by his spirit, he can do incredible things through our little lives. And so just celebrate Jesus. So the invitation for us all is to simply come and receive him by faith. We're going to sing together. We have giving in the back, as we always do. Sing um, in the way that, that is honest. You know, if you want to stand, if you want to be loud, if you want to sit, if you want to be quiet, that's fine. Just worship him in an honest way. So let's come before God.